You're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. All right, this week, get ready. We've got the return of the Rice Wizards. Carla and Emil are back for their fifth installment of their rice-themed segment. You asked, we listened. Of course, both of them have been relying heavily on their favorite pantry staple during this time. And today, they're talking about the unexpected varieties they've been making when the store is out of their usual buys, the leftover rice meals they've been cooking on repeat, and... They even come up with a genius idea for a rice and popcorn hybrid snack. All right, and then after that, I called up chef and activist Rima Seal of Reams, California in the Bay Area. Uh, While she's currently using her two restaurants as sanctuary kitchens to keep her community afloat, she's also been thinking about the future of restaurants. Uh, What we need to strive for, she believes, is not the return of the restaurant industry as it once was. That system was plagued with inequity, and now we have the opportunity to rewire the way it works. The wrecking of what we knew is, in fact, an opportunity to build something better. Okay, here's Emil and Carla. The moment we've all been waiting for. What time is it, Emil? It's rice o'clock somewhere. (laughs) I heard it was five rice o'clock. Five rice o'clock, quarter cup till rice o'clock. Can you believe we had to wait for a global pandemic to do <laughs> rice 5.0? I mean, you know, it does feel as though there's some kind of secret cabal trying to prevent us from spreading the good word of the rice to the world. Right. Rice, <clears throat> I mean. That's right. Rice. rice. That's rice. <laughs> <laughs> this is so weird. Oh. It's it's taking me back though. I mean, we are sitting. It's across taking you from, back to what? It's taking me back from like it, it's taking me back to sitting across the room with you. Oh. Yes, you know, that. yeah. No, it's not taking me back to that other time <laughs> I lived yeah. through a global <laughs> pandemic. No, it's like Carla's secretly a hundred years old. <laughs> Yeah, 1918. Yeah, I remember it was yesterday. (laughs) But no, you know, here I am. I'm I'm not sitting in the studio, of course, but like I am sitting. (laughs) So that's one thing that's the same. And then I am looking across at you. You're Mm -hmm. on a couch pillow at this moment. Um, But you are across and we're just we've just gathered here today to talk about the wonderful world of rice. The wonderful world of rice. Wait, Carla, I have a personal question for you. For for you listeners at home, we are doing this through a Zoom conversation. And I want to know, Carla, do you have the Facetune filter on? I don't. Do you? Oh. I forgot. You yeah, taught I me do. how to use it. God damn I do. It. I do. Well, in, in that case, your skin looks great, by the way. Oh, thanks. It's just that afternoon light. Wait, <laughs> yeah, that enhancement. Yeah, gentle uh, Oh, yeah, no, it is on. It is. It must have saved it from last time. It really just kind of smooths over. You know what? The... Any enhancement I can get at this time, I, I will take. I mean, you don't look a day over 99. <laughs> <laughs> like the finest rice, I have been polished, polished. to a, a glow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just, you um, know, I, pr- I prefer it, like, lightly polished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't want to take off all of the husk. Exactly. Exactly. No. I am a little husky, as they say. <laughs> I think we're all feeling a little husky these days. <laughs> I feel like it goes one of two ways. A lot of people are talking about, like, you know, the quarantine 15, like the freshman oh 15. God. Yeah. But I feel like it could go either way. There have been lots of days when I just was not thinking about eating because I, I just am thinking about the the, the, the juggle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like I've, it's like dinner. I can, I can really get excited about the other yes. meals. I'm kind of like, it feels incidental. Totally. That's a great way to get into one of the, the day, the night, the, the evening meal coming into the daytime meal and the rice being the bridge between meals. It is, it is. I feel like we have right now, uh, leftover rice in the house at all times there's either like rice that is cooked and is hot or rice that is cold and is ready to be become anything else exactly and then of course there is the room temperature uncooked rice there is of course the room temperature (laughs) uncooked rice just just glowing with potential that's exactly right Mm -hmm. and so you're a household of three right now i have three 
I have four humans in my household. And so when just very on a very basic level, we've been cooking so much rice that I've really dialed into the amount of rice to make to ensure leftovers. Right, 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 right. At a different time, I feel like I'm like always thinking about like, how can we just have just enough rice? Yes. But this time around, it's like there must be leftovers. I want just enough of everything else, but I want there to be leftover rice. Yeah, 100%. So it it really pleases me if I make like, for example, pork chops and some kind of a vegetable and then we have the pot of rice. I want there to be nothing but clean bones, no veg... Because the whole thing is like, let me get the fridge as empty as possible again. Oh, yeah. Because the worst thing is when you have like, you know, four pint containers or like half pint containers with leftovers from dinner. And you're just like, they kind of kind of just get lost in the mix. Just lost in the shuffle. So what is the amount of rice for you? To, to ensure the, the, the rice amount of leftovers the next day. The rice, the just rice amount of leftovers. <laughs> um, I feel like, I'm trying to think, I think we've been doing two cups of rice, if we're making rice, for the three of us. And that's, you know, that's like enough to fit in my like trusty little mini staub rice pot. Yeah. Um, and that'll make sure that we can all have our fill of rice that, like, Lauren can, like, sneak back into the kitchen and, like, eat, like, four big spoonfuls of <laughs> rice as she is wont to do. Uh-huh. And then we can still have a little bit left over for the next day. Yeah. Like, not so much that – because it's kind of like – I feel like for each batch of leftover rice, it's going to get kind of, like, one reinvention. Right. <clears throat> you exactly. You know, before it starts to get a little – it's like the next day it's going to be transformed. After that it starts to get a little bit dicey because, like, you want – Somebody wants fresh rice again. Exactly. There's going to be a new pot of rice the next day. I mean, I'm right. making rice, I would, between four and five times a week. Yeah, I would say that's that's pretty accurate. And so there's always a little bit of rice. Always a little bit of rice. And the next day, you described something to me as the skillet meal, which I think we're, we're it's in high rotation in my household as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, there are those times where you get excited about lunch or you're like sitting there like working at your computer and getting excited about something very 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 specific and then you execute it and it's fantastic 90% of the time it's actually just like you start heating the skillet up and then you like and then and then you like crouch by the fridge and open it up and pull some things out you're like oh greens I guess that goes in and then you're like "Mm, some meat and you're like oh there's some rice I'll just throw some rice and it's just like all kind of gets stirred together it's just like it's like may as well get just get served in a dog bowl like on I mean, the ground but it's so good. Dogs are wonderful. Yeah. Do you? Not, you don't have a dog, Carla, do you? No, I don't. But just I I I like dogs. So what whatever. Why should the dog bowl be a bad thing? No, no, no. It's not a bad thing. It's just uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I just don't usually eat on my hands and knees unless I've done something really bad. And that's a story for a different uh, podcast. Or really good. It's just really good. <laughs> You've been such a good boy today. You get to eat on the ground. <laughs> but you know, I feel like the skillet meal is just like the reality. I feel like nothing, nothing is a, a, a greater, is more emblematic of our times than the skillet meal. And yeah. like in that case, like just a handful of rice, like thrown in there to kind of like heat through. It's just like, sometimes it's just heaven. I feel very attached to the idea of, of eating everything, you know, and not like necessarily just a a completely, you know, hedonistic way, but I want to use up whatever I've made. I want it to go the distance. And then I also am just very attached to that leftover turnover reinvention of the next day. So I'll even kind of encourage that by pulling those pint or quart containers, whatever the leftovers are in, kind of posing them you know at the side of the stove (laughs) because my older son is the one who just like does exactly what you're describing he really he really favors a nonstick skillet for this he puts it on he puts it to you know taught him make sure there's a little fat in that pan when you start heating it up and it is just leftover chopped up pieces of meat the veg some rice and then it seems like it looks pretty good. He'll throw kimchi in there. Mm. And then always he's like, do I want an egg? Should I do the egg? Am I doing the egg? And then the egg goes in. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a move. 
And then you just slide it out into the dog bowl. Right. Right. <laughs> right in a Fido's dish. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I think it's interesting because the skillet, the skillet meal is not, is, is, it should be noted, is distinct from fried rice. Yes. It's not, it's not, it's not fried rice in, in that super intentional, like, I'm heating the rice through whether it's going to, whether you're going crispy style or not crispy style and kind of giving the rice the attention. The rice is there. It's like a supporting player yeah. in this skillet. Do you like to get it crispy before you start adding your, your leftovers? Um, Yeah, I think that that's kind of my most common move is like start with the rice, you know, heat up a little bit of fat. We've got, we've got like some nice rendered lard and a little bit mm. of bacon fat, which is... Mm really really doing it for me right now mm-hmm. get a nice slick and then the little non-stick pan pack that rice down season it a little bit and then that's when I go for the fridge dive so totally. then I'm gonna like start rooting around and I'm like oh there's like some greens I can just chop through real quick oh it's like yeah. a bunch of herbs that I can throw on top and like and you know once you've got that kind of crisp layer on the bottom then everything else piled on top is just gonna kind of heat through and then just gets kind of all mashed together and then you might even have some crispy gone soggy Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Carla. <laughs> you very you much might. So then the other way that I do the leftover rice where I'm not even messing with the rice in any way beforehand, it's kind of like somewhere between scrambled eggs and an omelet and a frittata is like the rice egg situation. Oh, so just yeah. beating some egg in a bowl adding, you know, half a cup or whatever it is, amount of leftover rice, just enough to break it up in there, season it, and then that could be it. Mm-hmm. And then you're just mm-hmm. like heating that up with the stirring, 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 let it set into like a very thin, almost like an eggy crepe, like a yep. rice and egg, mm-hmm. but there's no flour, but it's just thin. But if you want to gild the lily on that, same thing. You got a little leftover chopped herbs or some kind of a sauce or a spoonful of beans or some, you know, cheese, whatever was left from the taco bowl. And it's really just like enough egg to hold everything together. Yeah, no, exactly. That's I do that. But what I'll do is I'll crisp, you know, get like just enough that you can have like one thin layer of rice in the pan. Yeah. A little ghee, get Mm. that crispy and then pour the like one or two beaten eggs over it. And so then it just kind of cooks immediately and then just gets folded. It's just exactly. a little like, you know, kind of like a little omelet. Exactly. Um, but, but once you when you're biting into it, you've got these little crispy little jewels of rice. <laughs> Love it. Mm. I made a very large amount of ghee kind of early in the weeks that we were all at home. And it is just the gift that keeps on giving. Oh my gosh, so good. I think I started with three pounds of butter, unsalted butter. And I have a, ma- I still have a massive jar. But oh, it's that's like awesome. the best for pancakes, the best for, you know, eggs, the best for what you just described. I made some flatbreads yesterday. Anyway, mm. that's another story. Oh, yeah. We have yet to do butter, butter 1.0. True. Yeah, we got to save that for another time. In which case, ghee will be a chapter. You know, another thing that I've been, we've been making a lot of chicken stock, which mm-hmm. just feels like on the on the bright side of things, the silver linings, like, you know, why not just have a pot of stock on at all times? So there's always some in the freezer or on the stove or in the fridge, which is also kind of changed the game because it makes making soup so much easier. So fast. And I've also been kind of doing the same kind of crispy rice situation you know packing like a little half inch in there so it's like gets real crispy and golden on one side breaking it up and then just flooding the pan with chicken stock Ooh. and then stirring that around a little bit and then you kind of have these like little chunks of crispy rice that are kind of like all adhered together and then some kind of free floating you know soft boys and then you know (laughs) just throw a handful of herbs on on top little chili oil and it's just like such a that's the kind of thing that like I found myself more and more having only the appetite for. It's just right. like, I'm just like, I don't want that much. I don't want that much food right now. Right. Especially because we're like, you know, it's like I'll go on a walk every day or I'll like do some kind of like ridiculous like Zoom fitness class. But we're still, I'm still not like moving that much. Like enough yeah. to get myself like really work, really work up an appetite. Yeah. But that's a delicious kind of just shortcut chicken soup with rice that you're totally. describing. Yeah. I yeah. love that idea. 
And then you can just sip that. It's also very digestible and mm-hmm. you don't have to do the thing with the rice is like you don't have to do much with it to make it wonderful. Mm-hmm. Even the cooked rice, it's almost like what you described as with Lauren going back into the kitchen after the meal. I mean, in a way, that is the, you know, original leftover rice. Like the oh, meal totally. the meal is over and that's the first way of enjoying the leftovers. Is right. before you even put them away. Well, and it's kind of awesome, too, because it's like, you know, when you're eating your meal, you know, it's like rice is kind of the supporting player. Yeah. But then afterwards, like just getting to after all of that and all of those big flavors, just getting to put a big spoonful of still <laughs> warm rice, nothing on it in your mouth. Yeah. Just, you're like, you've been here the whole time? The whole time. So one of the things that has happened with all of the rice consuming that has been going on is a lot of the rice is sold out. Like rice, I I feel Mm -hmm. like was one of the first things when I started, you know, shopping that I was like, oh, there literally is no rice. Sort of like with the flour depletion, everybody grabbed all the rice. I like to think that we had a little something to do with that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. We didn't discover, you know, no. everybody loves rice. Everybody, everybody loves, rice. loves rice and yeah. uh, everybody loves bread. But yeah, the last time I went and specifically wanted to get sushi rice, I could not get sushi rice. I could get a lot of other rices. And that has been like a really, you know, great time to kind of be forced. One of the things about this whole time is sort of being forced to get into other parts of your pantry or go take a second look at the things that you would have passed by the first time. So if I had found the sushi rice, I would have bought the sushi rice and I would have cooked that. And that's the thing that I cook all the time. And in fact, we had already gone through the four pound bag that I started quarantine out with. And then the sushi rice wasn't there. So I was like, okay, well, then I'm getting the Bhutanese red rice. And I'm also getting a 10-pound bag of great basmati rice. And picking up some wild rice. Because, you know, if you love rice, then you love all the rices. Totally, yeah. I don't think that you're a true rice lover if you only love one kind of rice. You know what I mean? I mean, exactly. it's like obviously you've got your, your like, you, the, the platonic ideal of rice for you. But if you're not omnivorous in your rice, I, I don't know if you're a true rice head. It's like the people who say, not to bring up dogs again, but people who say that they love dogs, but they would only ever own a purebred dog. Well, do oh you really God. love dogs then? You I don't know? think so. <laughs> I don't think and I don't do. think those people like rice either. No. Uh-uh. They're not in the club. No. Rice is rice is rice. You know, that's the other thing. Like, yes, of course, sushi rice doesn't have the exact same texture and flavor as basmati. Let's not kid ourselves. But it's been fun to cook both and to have both in the house and then to have the red rice the night that I made the red rice for the first time. And now it's just like the, the that pot goes down on the table and everybody knows that it's got rice in it. And but it was a big pot of the red rice. And when my son opened it up to serve himself, he like let out the most delighted mm. because it was like a new color of, of rice. He was like, well, I was excited it was rice, but then I didn't know it was going to be red rice, you know, <laughs> or just like endlessly delighted by the varieties. That one I wasn't sure. I was too lazy and I wasn't sure exactly what the ratio was with the red rice Mm -hmm. the way that like now I've really leaned into that perfect pot of rice method I'm very comfortable with that 18 minutes and the and the ratio of rice to water but the red rice I was like I'm cooking this tonight and I'm basically too lazy to just look up a basic ratio so I cooked it according to that pasta cooking method you know Mm -hmm. just like Mm -hmm. plenty of water I salted it. Yeah, I salted it, which I don't normally salt my white rice. And I had leftovers again, going back to like wanting to use stuff up that kind of had been sitting in the fridge for a couple of days. I had some cooked mushrooms that I could tell were never going to go anywhere. Like a cold, a, a, a hot grilled mushroom is fantastic. A cold grilled mushroom can be kind of leathery. 
I feel like, like that's like at that point it's just an ingredient again. It's exactly. like it needs to get chopped up. It needs to be incorporated into something. So it's not it's not going to have that kind of meaty, delicious sort of texture. That's right. It's a leftover that's like going to take some work before somebody can enjoy it again. So I just threw those mushrooms into the cooking liquid with the rice, um, and then they kind of made a mushroom stock that the rice cooked in and kind of gave themselves up to the higher purpose, and. It was delicious. Lots of black pepper. I think I put some butter in there. So good. So, but that so that was you used those mushrooms to cook the the red rice the first time around, or this was no like the first time that was they were leftovers. The first time I cooked the mushrooms was as a side dish for something mm-hmm. else. So I had been grilling that day, and I threw the mushrooms on the grill. So those were leftover, and then they you know they turned into like a smoky mushroom broth for the rice. Oh, but did you do anything? What did you have rice leftovers of the the red rice after oh, you did the uh, the mushroom situation? That's a great question. I don't think we did. <sighs> and if we did, somebody else got to that skillet before I did. Yeah. Early early bird gets the rice skillet. It's a dog eat dog world. It's a dog bowl eat <laughs> dog bowl world. <laughs> See, I'm making less. This makes me think I'm not making quite enough because we're four people and I've been making a cup and a half of rice and you're three adults and you're going with two. Yeah. I mean, I also do think that we also sometimes make one, like one cup, you know, there's, I feel like two cups is we're making dinner, a rice focused dinner, you know, like some kind of like Japanese curry or something like that, where it's like, we're going to be eating a lot of rice if it's more like an afternoon like we need something to put some of these leftovers on right then we'll probably make one cup because also i will say it's like i do always want to have leftovers but i also don't want them to feel tedious yeah so it's kind of like alternating back and forth it's like i don't want i don't want to take the leftover rice for granted i still want it to feel like a treat you know (laughs) okay so it's like, obviously I want, I want leftovers, but there's a balance there. You know, yes. you don't, if it's always there and all of a sudden the rice pot becomes like, you know, it's like the, 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 the taken for granted boyfriend or something, you know? Oh, wow. Just do you have, And you have a special pot for cooking your rice? Yeah, I do. I actually, it, I, when we did our, our first oh, self-taping tool. video, my mm-hmm. favorite tool was my little rice pot and it's staub and it's got, you know, it's like the black enamel inside and. It's gray and it fits two cups of rice perfectly. Amazing. You can't take a grain more, <laughs> but it's just like the two cups is like right up there. And it's so pleasing. And it's really nice and thick. So it keeps the rice warm so that like I can, if we're making dinner and it's like, you know, the braise is still an hour out and the rice is ready. It's just going to just leave it there with the lid on. It's going to be perfect. It's just hanging. Now, are you using a rice cooker or are you... Uh, No, I don't have a rice cooker. I think it's one of the things I would love to have if I had a little more counter space. Yeah. And there's things that I really, really miss about the test kitchen and the Zojirushi rice cooker that almost every day had a big batch of rice in it is one of the things that I miss a lot. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure we've talked about this before, but it's like I have my little rice pot and that is like what I make rice in. 99% of the time the only time I really get the rice cooker out because the rice cooker that I have is like a giant one that can handle like 10 cups of rice the only time I'm really using that is you know if I was making chili and having like a Super Bowl party or something like that if I really wanted to make in quantity and just didn't want to think about it because things can get on the stovetop can get a little hairy after like four cups then you're kind of like ooh, yes just the, the amount evenness. of time it takes to come up, the like, you know, it's just, it's a little, it's a little gnarly. Yeah, I cannot remember a time that I made more than three cups of rice, frankly. And I would want a rice cooker for that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So what's your, what is your day-to-day rice? Is it the the short grain white rice? Yeah, the short grain white, the koshikari. Um, uh-huh. Which we just like, I mean, we've, you know, buy 50 pound bags of you know and when that like, is depleted what are you gonna do are you re-upping with the same well right now we've still got a little bit left we also have a 10 pound bag of um a southern brand of rice that my Ooh. friend uh, gave us as a late housewarming gift Ooh, 
that advertises a popcorn flavor and aroma. Delicious. Um, Two of my favorite things. I know, right? Rice Uh, and popcorn together forever. Nobody's doing that. I mean... The, literally two of my favorite things. Wait a second, wait a second, Carla. This just this just came to me like a vision. <laughs> okay, so w- one thing that we both know is a great thing to do with leftover rice, in addition to like the crisping in the skillet, is you can also just deep fry rice, which is amazing. It helps after you've cooked it to just spread it out on a sheet pan and leave that like uncovered in the fridge overnight just so it gets really cold and, and the refrigerator is such a drying environment that it really wicks a lot of the moisture away. And then just kind of taking a few spoonfuls at a time and just deep frying that. Oh, so you I mean, that's kind the of- kind of thing that you're like, when am I ever going to do? I mean, I love the idea of this. And that that method, I think the first time I had it was the squirrel method. Yep. And we have that recipe. Squirrel is the name of a restaurant, not just a backyard um, pest. No. Creature, yes. Right. But at the time, it was like, it makes an amazing result. But it's also like... When am I ever going to do this? You know when you're going to do it? You're going to do it right now. Yeah. And I used to, yeah, I used to do it like pretty much exclusively for like catering gigs. Right. It's like such a fun, you know, you got a salad and then there's just these little crispy, crunchy, chewy morsels in that. So, and that's, and that's great because you can do that and then you can keep that in a quart container for a few days and it's still going to be crispy and delicious and you can just throw it on salads, blah, blah, blah. But Carla, what if you mix that up with popcorn? Why wouldn't you? And why, who who isn't? Why, who's not doing this? Why would why we are do we that? not doing this? Why aren't we doing that? <laughs> okay, so what? Like, to recap, what we're talking about doing is taking the leftover cooked rice, which has been hanging out in the fridge, maybe uncovered, and it's dehydrated and it's already kind of crispy, and then it's going to get deep fried in oil until it's it kind of puffs a little bit. It doesn't like split open, but it like expands. Yeah, and it also, and this is also great to, it's it's great with white rice, it's great with brown rice also. The other thing, it, it'll kind of start to stick together in this funny way. And you can kind of tell it's done because it'll it'll start bubbling really aggressively and then it'll start to kind of peter out. And then you just want to use like a slotted spoon or something to transfer that to like a paper towel lined um, sheet pan. And just to soak up some of that oil. And, you know, you want to give it a good season after that. But that's basically And so you're rice, talking about popcorn. taking that and mixing mm-hmm. it with a bowl of popcorn. Yes, I am talking about that. <laughs> that is exactly with, what I'm talking about. <laughs> with nutritional yeast? Well, I think it would be really, really good with nutritional yeast in the, you know, in yeah. the nutritional yeast, little olive oil, like yeah. whatever. But I bet it would be also really good if you wanted to make caramel corn. Oh, that's right. That's like right. kettle corn. Like kettle corn. And can you imagine getting a little cluster of yes. popcorn yes. with little bits of crispy rice stuck to it? Yes, I can imagine. I would like it very much. Thank you. You know what I did the other day? And I only did this because I was challenged to. So I had, I literally had to. I was compelled. I used the cheese packet from the mac and cheese box as a popcorn seasoning. Oh my God. <laughs> Is that even legal? No. In fact, if it wasn't, I, if I hadn't been indoors, I would have been carted away. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Oh and God. it was kind of, I don't want to say, I don't like using any of those words. Like it was naughty or it was mm-hmm, like practically mm-hmm. illegal. No, you know what it was? <laughs> it was like amazingly good in an in an actually non-shocking way. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm sure it would be also great if you took like the ramen packet and shook it all over. You know, I had a friend who used to take <laughs> the ramen seasoning packet. Yeah. Open like an individual bag of potato chips and yeah. shake that into it and then yes. shake it all up. Chicken yes. chips. Yes. Yes. Have you ever done it as a bath bomb? I haven't not used it as a bath bomb. <laughs> hey. But let me tell you, it is, uh, I, I mean, I think it's probably a better thing to do if you're a renter just sure, because sure, the sure. pipes, you know, it's like not my pipes, not my problem. They're yeah. full of cheese. I mean, it is disgusting. Disgusting. Oh, I was talking about a ramen bath bomb. Oh, 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 jeez. Oh. <laughs> uh, that I've never done. I, I don't think that would, uh, too salty. Too salty. Okay, okay. So I think that the cheese packet into a pot of rice, I mean, because oh, once, because oh once God, I, start, yeah, 
well, why not? Once I did it, I was like, okay, well, it's great on popcorn. Like, then we sprinkled a little bit of it into some mashed potatoes. Guess what? It wasn't bad. Oh so if God. you had the cheesy packet, because all things considered, that cheese packet is the best part of a boxed mac and cheese, in my opinion. Yes. The noodle is like, get get lost. You know what I mean? But I that flavor packet, that's flavor the stuff. So good. Anyway, I, I, would, would... I would put it into rice. How hard is it, do you think, could you just get like a huge sleeve of Mm -hmm. the I mean I guess you can just buy powdered cheese online yeah when I looked at the ingredients I was kind of like happily surprised that it wasn't as gnarly a list of ingredients as you might think yeah it's like powdered buttermilk yeah it was yeah essentially yeah. yeah powdered milk cheese some kind of enzyme it wasn't bad I want that in rice right now. Rice now. Rice, rice now. this minute. I want it rice now. Yeah, it really is one of the the bright spots in all of this has been reconnecting with rice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Reconnecting with rice. You know, I never felt far from rice, but it, right. it feels good to just spend a little QT. A yeah. Little QT in QT, if you know what I mean. <laughs> all right. I think oh. we're. Um. I think we're getting. I think we're getting cut off. I think so, too. Emma made the goofy finger nose wave at us. Yeah. Also, for those of you who can't, we're, we're on Zoom, and, and Emma has, a, has created a background that is just a bowl of rice. But it's really kind of hazy and hard to see. Yeah. So it, it kind of looks like she's just disappearing into rice. As a rice wizard should. As a rice, just, just, just evanesces <laughs> into the rice. Fade to rice. And there, in a puff of rice steam, she was gone. Always a pleasure to see you, my rice wizard friend. Uh, always a pleasure to rice around with you, Carla. <laughs> I'll see you soon, I hope. Yep, soon. Rice out. Ciao for now. Reem, welcome back to the BA Foodcast. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Uh, you know, uh, every day is, I say I'm oscillating between anger, grief, and hope. So more so to the hope side, though. I mean, you need to get angry so that you can do something, right? Um, yeah, as a but. motivating factor, I guess. What What is sort of helped tilt the scales as of late, at least, in terms of being a little bit more forward-looking? Well, I think leading up to, you know, we just opened a new location in San Francisco um, right before the pandemic hit and sort of leading up to that moment, I was just sort of in this this mode of like feeling the pressure, you know, because I had already had one space and it was stretching me really thin and, you know, uh, San Francisco was supposed to be sort of the the saving grace, so to speak. And I, you know, there's just so much pressure in San Francisco. Everybody knows me and I needed to like be the greatest and all these things. And then none of that really mattered a week later. You know, we were in survival mode and everything just felt so unfair and unjust in terms of who was who who was able to pull through this and who was not. And at some point I was like, it doesn't even matter, you know? Um, I wanted to get off the hamster wheel, so to speak, of like having to be this great chef with the best restaurant, you know? Like people are hungry, people have lost their jobs, my workers are devastated, you know? None of the other things matter. And I think that helped actually, like in my grief, there was clarity around my vision and values, why I started Reams in the first place. You know, Reem's mission is to have good jobs, nourishing food, and sanctuary space for all. And obviously, physical space is hard right now, but creating the good jobs and the nourishing food, it doesn't matter how I do it as long as I do it, you know? And so that helped me sort of pivot and be creative about what my businesses can look like in the short term, but then also in the more medium and long term. You know, like I don't think of any of our um, food businesses are going to look the way they did leading into this pandemic. I hope not. I hope that they learned something from all of this. It's, I mean, that's the, the billion dollar question, I guess. <laughs> you know, when we come out the other side of this, where are we? And you, you wrote a very 
poignant uh, Instagram a few weeks ago announcing that you were closing your Fruitvale, Oakland location. Um, and I'll just read a, a few lines if that's okay. Sure. You said the last few weeks have been up and down, an up and down journey for myself as a business owner, but more importantly, as a person who cares deeply about justice and taking care of my community. I have went from panic to exhaustion to sickness and then grief for my family, for my employees, and for the state of working people and communities of color all around the world, and for not being able to control circumstances and take care of everyone. But grief has a way of providing clarity around purpose and values. To be honest, trying to grow my restaurant enterprises has been a pain in the ass. People love my image slash brand as a social justice-minded chef, but they rarely have wanted to put their money where their mouth is in investing in my vision. I was exhausted trying to share so different audiences why investing in my vision was a good idea, etc. And then you say, I have no wish to restore the restaurant industry the way it was. It is plagued with inequity. Uh, in many ways, I hope restaurants don't get a bailout without changing their ways. A, just like the, the personal nature of this piece, this post, and how that sort of gives voice to, I think, what every restaurant owner and chef feels. Like you, you yeah. guys invest so much of yourselves on an emotional level, on a physical level, mm-hmm. the hours you work, and how tenuous restaurants are as a business model in terms of profit margin and rent and insurance and expenses and, and employees that come and go, and it's so hard. But th- th- there is that inequity, and you want to get to a better place, but is that possible? I mean, how do, how do restaurants fundamentally change? Have you thought about that in a concrete way? Yeah, I mean, I'm in the sort of midst of processing all of that. You know, I think uh, what I do know is that without the resources, we can't do all of these things. Like, we'll always be plagued with inequity if, um, if we don't actually have the resources to to really put our money where our mouth is, right? Like, I think, um, you know, people talk about sort of paying for the real cost of food. That's definitely a part of it. But I also don't want to, like, I'm not really talking about, like, people should just pay more for food so my workers can get paid well. No, the whole system is messed up for people to have to be paying for the real cost of food. The we have an abundance of resources in this country and this world. It's because, you know, our housing is inflated and so expensive. It's because the 1% has all the resources and the 99% of us don't. It costs so much um, to do anything, you know? Um, So we need a redistribution of wealth and resources on a broader scale in order for the the restaurant industry to do what it needs to do. I also think there's a vision and values piece, right? Basically, investing in those who have been most hurt by this economic system, right? So what would a society look like if we invested in women, if we invested in people of color, if we invested in immigrants, if we invested in the people who have showed time and time again that they can take care of one another, even in the lowest of times, I think we would have been in a much different situation in this pandemic. But because we're operating in this like super, super capitalist system where, you know, just throwing money at the problem, right? And throwing it in the same way we were throwing it at, I mean, Ruth's Steakhouse, I just saw like got the $20 million bailout, bailout from the PPP. So that to me is an indication that we're just, funneling resources the same way we were funneling resources before. So I don't see an opening for the industry to change in that context, right? Like if the money just keeps funneling in the same way. I guess that's a, a good question in this in the sense of the use of the word we. And is we the government? Is we the private sector? Because if you look at the government, as you pointed out, yeah, Ruth's, I just read in the Wall Street Journal today, um, it's Friday, that, yeah, they got a $20 million bailout through the, the, the stimulus plan. Um, there was that announcement yesterday that joining Trump's board of advisors for right. restaurant community is, is Jean-Georges Von Richten, Daniel Ballou, and Thomas Keller, who I'm sure are all fine guys, but it's it's that notion of it, it doesn't exactly represent a diverse spectrum of people who actually run restaurants and who work in restaurants. Right. So it's just like status quo. 
it's well, it's, like, yeah, it's people that the president can relate to. <laughs> um, right. right. So I, I guess, but you know, you're a business owner. So let's say six months from now, let's say we're all back at work. Let's say, God willing, you know, the coronavirus is is under control. Reams in San Francisco is open. Is there anything you can do in the here and now to run things differently? Or are you still beholden to very high rents and food costs and, and insurance and everything else? You know, like how do you approach it yourself who's so sort of invested on, a, on an emotional yeah. level? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I mean, I think um, right now the biggest blessing is that um, us being able to pivot into sort of doing a more commissary kitchen style, meeting the needs of people, because that is absolutely... Um, a piece of the work, right? When you say we, I'm thinking we as a society because like the government should be the one sort of supporting, everybody should have healthcare, everybody should have the right to work, everybody should, you know, have the right to have a a, a roof over their heads, you know? And food. To, to your point, to your point, this, this, this country has no, there's, there's no shortage of food in this right. country. Like there's an abundance of resources. It should be a right, you know, not a privilege. For me, it's a privilege to be a business owner. Like I understand that. And as, as much as this is a struggle for me, you know, I, I, like the, the having to take away the right for my workers to be able to put food on their own tables is devastating. For me, what I'm thinking about sort of in this in this in this period of transition is actually to not take the saunas on my own. Like I don't have to be the the business owner that saves or hurts my workers. Like that martyr thing is not actually helpful. You know, what would it be like to actually build trust and come down to the level of my employees and engage them a little bit more? and figure out, you know, what what would Reams look like on the other side of this? Is it a worker-owned model? You know, is it partnership with the community on doing something a little bit more sort of forward thinking? Like maybe we don't go back to being a restaurant. Maybe we pivot to being a meal program, whatever it is. But I want to involve my employees in figuring out what do they want? You know, what do they want this to look like on the other side? so that we can figure this out together, you know, like this is a time to empower all of the people who felt voiceless and helpless and figure it out together, you know, and I'm really lucky because I've like put that, I've manifested that out there. It's like, I don't have the answers, but I want to figure it out with people together, you know. On bonapetit.com, we've had this series of dispatches uh, called Restaurant Diaries, and every day we speak to someone else in the industry and challenges they're facing, whether it's chefs, whether it's purveyors, whether it's farmers. Um, And a few weeks ago, we had two pieces, one by Sam Cass, who was the former Obama chef, explaining Mm -hmm. the stimulus bill and and how it got passed and what the, at least the intent of it was. And this was, I want to say maybe the piece came out two or three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And on the same day, Ashton Berry, a a food activist out of New Orleans, wrote a piece. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, like, Sam's piece was about like, listen, if these if the, if the government doesn't get involved, if there isn't billions of dollars here, like these restaurants are never going to open up again. Mm-hmm. Ashton's piece was like, OK, that's fine. They're going to open. But what about the workers who have no equity in them? What about the workers who are underpaid? What about the workers who can't afford to buy the groceries on their paycheck because the way things are structured? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's interesting to see, like, can there be any sort of fundamental change in the industry mm-hmm. or are we just going to go back six months from now to high rents and high price entrees and i don't know i it's gonna yeah. I, something's got to change i'm just curious to see what something's it's going to be got to change and i'm you know like i think the biggest tragedy of all of this is if things don't change they will get worse you know we'll see even you know probably i mean i hate to say it but like even you know close to like the depression and you know, definitely worse than the 2008 recession. Um, Well, that was interesting. Your point, you said, you know, as as commissaries is like, do restaurants, is there something fundamentally different in the sense that, okay, here are places where I'm going to go to get food that someone's preparing, but it's, it's not in the sense of sitting down with the beautiful lighting and music and all that sort of stuff. Like that's almost like going to a Broadway production. Like you, you wonder sometimes like at least in New York, well, why is this entree $43? Like 
Well, look around the restaurant you're in, like the amount of money that went in to pay for every chair and every handmade ceramic plate and the lighting that costs $100,000 and the audio and everything. It's like it is a indulgence on a lot of manners. It totally is. And I mean, space matters, but you can intentionally create space, you know, in in more economical ways. I mean, I would say even like Reams, we were on a very grassroots (laughs) like budget you know like we made our tables <laughs> and people complained about you know and and as we were building our restaurant in the mission we were like oh we need to do a gofundme to like make sure that fruitville gets the love and attention it needs but it's like all of us get swept up in that you know but it, it is you know at the very basic level like we're trying to feed people we're trying to create sanctuary space and spending lots of money on like light fixtures and chairs <laughs> that's not going to make the magic, you know, what's going to make the magic is the amount of um, care and love. Like you can walk into a space and you know, whether it's embedded in the, that, that space is embedded in the community or not. You can just feel it, you know? Oh yeah. Do you, do you feel welcome when you walk in? Do you see a familiar face who knows you and you know them? Yeah. Do, Do the workers look happy? Do the people who are on the outside reflect those who are on the inside? All of those things. So you can create that you know, with very little resources. I mean, Ashton's article was like so on point to me because it's like all of the talk about the food industry is talking about employees and workers, but I have yet to hear a worker's voice in all of Mm -hmm. this. It's all about the business owners talking about their workers. It's almost like they've been like, they have no agency in any of this, you know? Like they're just a subject matter, you know? They're just a data. They're just a statistic and it really bothers me. Like, I don't want to be, you know, this is a, this is a, and unfortunately for a lot of workers in the food industry, they are in the trenches right now because of their, you know, they're undocumented, they can't access, they don't want to make themselves vulnerable to the state. And what could we do as a community to protect those folks to actually come out of the trenches? You know, like, what would it look like if we did a rent strike? You know, like I'm not, I have not paid my rent. I mean, I can say that on the record, like we need rent relief, you know, not just as businesses, but as people. Could we use this time to organize and galvanize people to feel like they are going to be protected if they speak out? And that's kind of in the mindset that I'm in. Like we are both meeting people's needs we know that people need to be fed. So we pivoted into a commissary kitchen in our Fruitvale. We've really honed our hours in the mission to feed that neighborhood, you know, and, and, and used our kitchen to do commissary style meals for front, you know, folks on the front lines, hospital workers. And then while we're doing that, we're figuring out what are the sort of broader societal, you know, economic things that we can get involved in, right? housing um, is a big one you know if these landlords are asking for rent come next month we're going to see a big problem so it doesn't even matter whether the food industry comes back or not if there's nobody to patronize these restaurants it doesn't even matter you know so that's the mindset i'm in you have to think about these broader systems how about you you talk about community a lot and how that's a core mission of yours with dreams and the fact that you have a mission, I think a lot of restaurants, their only mission is to stay in business or make money. <laughs> Change often starts with one person, but it, it, it happens when a lot of people get on board. How much have you had an opportunity this past month to speak to other restaurateurs or people in the industry yeah. and sort of get their thoughts and share ideas? Or are you guys just all too busy just trying to get food out and feed people? I must admit, like that first three weeks, we were just in survive like it's a sinking ship we're trying to survive we're not talking to one another we're seeing each other's grief and pain sort of through the interwebs and now now we're starting to talk you know like i think there have been initiatives like the sf new deal here in san francisco you know where restaurateurs are like banding together to figure out how do we how do we do something about this but not at the level that I want. I think this is a time to organize. And now that at least I can speak for myself, like (laughs) when you're like, just burn it down. (laughs) When you're in that mindset, you're like, it doesn't even matter. Like the the landlords are not going to get paid until I figure out what that there's power in that. And so now we can kind of really talk about how do we 
play roles as advocates because we have a voice. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating because the Bay Area is kind of this interesting test case in the sense that politically it's so progressive-minded and liberal, left-leaning, but it's also exorbitantly expensive to live there. The, the, yeah. the, co- the, the rent costs are out of control. Silicon Valley effect in what that that city and that you know places like the mission are like now so yeah you guys are converging in this sort of interesting way where there's progressive thinking yeah well time is frozen you know there's a moratorium on evictions (laughs) in san francisco and oakland you know that's a blessing let's use this moment to do the work that we need to do let's you know like i've never talked to my landlords in the way that i've talked to them now because i have that power you know and if we don't take advantage of this moment I'm really afraid that we're just going to go back to the way things were. So, yeah, I mean, I, obviously the Bay Area is, is a bubble. Um, I, I feel privileged to be in a, in a position where there is a moratorium on evictions and all of these things. Um, but I'm going to take advantage of that and use my voice uh, as a business owner, as someone but I want to do it in partnership with my workers. Like people are asking me, what does it feel like as a business owner? I'm like, talk to my employees, you know, I'm like I keep sort of punting things to my employees because I want to empower them to have agency in all of this. I don't want to say in a perfect world because that, that world doesn't <laughs> exist. But um, if things go relatively well, where are you in your businesses a year from now? Ooh, that is the million dollar question. Um, if things go relatively well, there will be sort of a, a pooling of community investment in, in Reams as a hospitality group in which we can uh, really do the work over the next six months to transition into a model that is more equitable, where workers ha- have equity and ownership in the model. Um, where the business is not just shaped by a few core people, but by the many. And that our, on a broader scale, sort of Reams is part of an ecosystem of other restaurants that have a socially justice-minded vision that both treats its workers well and people are paid a living wage and the communities we serve are not priced out of the model. Um, so that's where I want to get to. It's going to take money, it's going to take resources, and it's going to take people shifting their mindset to where that money should go and how it should be allocated. People who are investing in our vision to do this work. And that is the work that I'm trying to do sort of now behind closed doors, have those conversations with community partners of how they should invest in restaurants moving forward. Reem Asil, uh, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for sharing your thoughts. Yeah, thank you. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced and edited by Emma Wurtzman with additional programming help from Carrie Polis and Elise Inamine. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday and if you want to reach out to us about this episode or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.